You know, we're in our volume of the book study. I do want to encourage you. I do want to encourage you. Um, maybe grab a study sheet. It might help you out. I'm going to have a, I got a couple images on there that might help you just to give some uh, visual to help, to help, help out. Um, got some notes for us. But we are doing our volume of the book study. We're bringing it, this section of it, to a close. Lord willing, we're going to cover chapter 9, 10, and 11. Pray for me and pray for us. That's a lot of, a lot of things, but we got to remember we're not preaching the book of Genesis. We're trying to get an overview of the Bible and also see Christ on every single page. And so we're, we're going to try to pick up the pace, and we're going to take this study and lay it down and pick it back up January 8th. We've got some other things we're going to be looking at over the next couple of weeks, being Christmas season and those type of things. Remember, our missionary, Kale Horvath, um, he's a missionary to Budapest, Hungary. He's going to be here January 1st. You won't want to miss that. Um, last time Kale was here, um, we had no heat or air conditioning in this building. We had no carpet. We didn't have flushing toilets. We had nothing. We were meeting down at the park um, under, the, under the trees. And so it's been a while. He's really excited about coming. He's had to say no to a lot of churches. We were the first ones he wanted to come to. So praise the Lord um, for that. And so uh, he's, he's going to be here January 1st. Please um, be here if you can. All right, so last week uh, we talked about how Noah got on the ark with his family. And uh, God kind of hits the great reset and says, okay, it's time to push the reset button and let's, let's go a little bit further and re, let's replenish this planet. Let's redo some things. And so Noah and his family get saved from God's wrath on the ark. Let me remind you of Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 7. Do we have that? All right, Hebrews 11 verse 7 says, By faith Noah, being warned of God of things not seen as yet, moved with fear, prepared an ark to the saving of his house, by the which he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness, which is by faith. So we've looked at that verse numerous times over the, over the weeks, but I just want to remind you that Noah is warned of God. He prepares an ark. He condemns, the, he condemns all the society around him. And then eight people get on the ark <coughs> and, and they are saved. Well, that sounds great, doesn't it? That sounds pretty amazing. God starts all over with this new righteous man who's walking with Jesus, gets his whole family on. You would expect the next few chapters to go, look, this is what God wanted. And I put this out on social media yesterday. Have you ever put yourself in a position where you get everything set up and it's going to work? You're just like, okay, I got it. And the moment you like push the button to push play or turn it on or whatever, it just all falls apart. Does that ever happen to anybody else? I mean, it happens to me all the time. I'm like, I got a plan. This is going to be great. And the moment it comes time to execute the plan, it epically fails. Maybe that's just me. Maybe, maybe I'm the failure. I don't know. But man, I struggle with that. And usually what comes out of my mouth is, of course, that would happen. Or, well, ain't that just great? Well, that's the sermon title for today. Well, ain't that just great? Because as you read through these passages... You're just like, how can we get from here to there so quickly? I mean, it just absolutely falls apart. You would expect this to be a moment of triumph. This is a moment of excellence. Let's just restart this great new society. Start over. It just, it just tanks. I mean, just, just quick. All right, so honor of the word of God. Let's stand together. Let's stand on the word of God. I want to read verses 1 to 7 of chapter 9. Genesis chapter 9, 
verses 1 to 7. Is everybody there? Say amen. Verse 1. And God blessed Noah and his sons and said unto them, Be fruitful, fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth. And the fear of you and the dread of you shall be upon every beast of the earth, and upon every fowl of the air, upon all that moveth upon the earth, and upon all the fishes of the sea, into your hand are they delivered. Every moving thing that liveth shall be meat for you. Even as the green herb have I given you all things. But flesh with the life thereof, which is the blood thereof, shall ye not eat. And surely your blood of your lives will I require. At the hand of every beast will I require it. At the hand of men, at the hand of every man's brother, will I require the life of man. Whoso sheddeth man's blood, by man shall his blood be shed. For in the image of God made he man. And you, be ye fruitful and multiply. Bring forth abundantly in the earth and multiply therein. Lord, I thank you for your word. Lord, I pray that you would speak through me. Lord, just allow me just to be a vessel to bring your truth. Lord, we do not need to hear from my notes. Lord, we need to hear from your word. Lord, may your word be the final authority. In the name of Christ, I pray. Amen. Amen. All right, so the sermon title is, Well, Ain't That Just Great? And uh, if you are taking notes, uh, I, I just in, encourage you to write down some references, write down some things that I'm going to be throwing at you. We're going to do a little bit of practical stuff, looking at doing some Bible study, looking at some crazy stuff. I mean, it's going to be fun. Y'all ready to go for a ride? I'm, I'm excited about it. I've, I've had a lot of fun studying this, and, I, and I, hope, I hope you're ready for it. So I want to go back to verses 1 and 2. Go back to verses 1 and 2, because God blesses Noah and his sons, and he says unto them, Be fruitful, multiply, and replenish the earth. That's exactly what God had told Adam and Eve in the, in the garden, right? He, he makes them fruitful. Be fruitful, multiply, and replenish the earth. I want you to key in on that word. That's an interesting word. Verse 2, and the fear of you and the dread of you shall be upon every beast of the earth. In other words, there's dominion now, and upon every fowl of the air, upon all that moveth upon the earth, and upon all the fishes of the sea, unto your hand are they delivered. Well, that's the same thing God told them in, in, in Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 to 28, except there's a little bit difference now. Because if you read the very next verse, now it's time to eat meat. So it's one thing to have dominion over the fish of the sea and the fowls of the air and all the animals on, the, on, on land for Adam and Eve. The problem is they were all vegetarians. And I say that's a problem because I don't know if I could have functioned in a society like that. I need to meet some, I need to meet some meat, right? And so here's the, here's the deal. They have dominion over all of that, but things are differently now. They're, they're completely different here in, in chapter 9. It's a different atmosphere. It's a different planet. It's a different diet. It's a different everything. Now, verse 7, he tells them again, just in case they didn't get it, to be fruitful, multiply, and to bring forth abundantly in the earth and multiply therein. So what you have, here's your first point, is there's a great commission. There's a great commission. Now, the number nine in your Bible is the number of fruit bearing, and nine different times God tells his people to be fruitful, multiply. Nine different times to be fruitful. This is one of those. So there's a great commission, and God commissions Noah and his family to multiply across the world. That's what he's doing. He's commissioning them to, to multiply across the world. He's commissioning them to multiply where? Across the world. All right, I said it three times. I want you to get that because that's important. We're going to come back to that. He tells them to fill the planet. Go everywhere. Across the world. Multiply. So let's get practical then. 
Because that means you have to be fruitful, men. You have to do what it takes to be fruitful. Right? I understand the audience. I understand who's in the room. Are you all picking up what I'm putting down? Not if you get it. Right? To be fruitful, you have to do things to be fruitful. Same thing for us. God has given us a spiritual commission to be fruitful, multiply, and replenish the earth. We do that with spiritual sons of God. That means we sow the seed of the word of God and share evangelism. So this is a, this is a picture of evangelism, to be fruitful. But then he uses the word multiply. You see that in verse one. Be fruitful and multiply. Well, what was that? Now I'm teaching others to be fruitful. So as I'm being fruitful, I'm instructing others to be fruitful. That's multiplication. That's discipleship. That's discipleship. So be fruitful. That's me doing what it takes to be fruitful. Training up the next generation to do the same as I continue to do it. Now we have double the amount and triple the amount and quadruple and exponential growth, right? So that's multiplication. That's discipleship. But then he says, and replenish the earth. Now that's interesting, isn't it? How can you replenish something if it hasn't been replenished already? Does that make sense? Tells them to replenish the earth. Go back over here to chapter one. Chapter one. Look what he says here in verse 28. This is Adam and Eve. And God blessed them and God said unto them, be fruitful, multiply, and replenish the earth. We went into great detail why they're replenishing and what they're replenishing and subdue it. Same thing over here in chapter nine. It follows moments of God's judgment, both of them with water. So do what it takes to replenish. So we're doing what it takes to be fruitful, doing what it takes to multiply, but also doing what it takes to replenish. That's missions. Y'all with me on that? So you have be fruitful. That's you. That's personal. Multiplication. That's you investing in others to instruct them to be fruitful. That's discipleship. Then replenish all the earth. That's missions. I can't be everywhere. You can't be everywhere, but we can send everywhere. That's missions. So in essence, we're sending Caleb and Hannah and Clark back to Nebraska, what? To do this. To do exactly what, to be fruitful, multiply, and do it from Nebraska. So in essence, we're sending, that's, that's missions. Y'all with me on this? So there's this great commission. All right, but then you get over to verse eight. You get over to verse eight. And God spake unto Noah and to his sons with him saying, and, and I behold, establish my covenant with you and with your seed after you. Now, here's what I love about the commission that we get in Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 through 20. At the, in verse 20 says, and yea, I'm with you always, even to the end of the world. God doesn't commission without being a part and joining in with you. And same thing here. He secures that which is significant. And so the significance is Noah and his sons and, and their wives and re, repopulating. But then it says here, the verses eight and nine, then you need a covenant. Now here's what that covenant is. We find that in verse 11. That's your next point. Not only is there a great commission, there's also a great covenant. There's a great covenant. Because God makes a covenant that he will not destroy the occupants of the world again with the flood. That's what, that's what his covenant is. And in verses 11 to 15, here's what he says. And I will establish my covenant with you. Neither shall all flesh be cut off anymore by the waters of a flood. 
Neither shall there any more be a flood to destroy the earth. Verse 12. And God said, this is the token. First time you find that word in your Bible. That word token means sign. It means mark. In fact, it's translated to the word sign in Genesis 1 verse 14. It's translated as the word mark in Genesis chapter 4 verse 15. But he says in verse 12, and God said, this is the token of the covenant which I make between me and you and every living creature that is with you for perpetual generations. In other words, this is a covenant that never goes away. And what's the covenant? I'm never going to destroy the planet with water again. That's the promise. Doesn't say he's not going to destroy some of the planet with water because that has happened, hasn't it? No doubt about it. Tidal waves and tsunamis and this and that. But a global flood he has not brought and he will not ever do it again. Well, how do we know that? Here's the promise, verse 13. I just set my bow in the cloud and it shall be for a token of a covenant between me and the earth. And it shall come to pass when I bring a cloud over the earth that the bow shall be seen in the cloud, verse 15, and I will remember my covenant, which is between me and you and every living creature of all flesh and the water shall no more become a flood to destroy all flesh. So here's what God does. I'm going to make a covenant. Then he t- puts a rainbow in the sky as, a, as an illustration, as a token, as a sign, as a mark. And so this is really cool to me. We see the rainbow, right? If you hang out with my wife, anytime it rains, she's looking for a rainbow. Where's the rainbow? Where's the rainbow? Where's the rainbow? I think that's pretty cool. So we see the rainbow, but the Bible also says that God sees the rainbow. It's, it's a reminder for both of us. That's the agreement. Now, our perspective is we see it like this, and God sees it like this. I don't know what that, all that means, but God sees the rainbow, and I see the rainbow. And the rainbow's a reminder that, he, that, number one, he destroyed all flesh with water. That's the first reminder. The second one is he's not going to do that again. So you have a great commission, and you have a great, great covenant. And here's... Here's the deal. God put his seal. He put the, put the bow in the sky that he's not bringing his wrath upon you. Same thing happens for us. When we get saved, we're sealed with the spirit of God. I think that's pretty interesting. Man, everything is set up to work now, isn't it? Great commission. Be fruitful, multiply, and replenish the earth. Just, so here's what God's commission is. Do what it takes to be fruitful. All right, I can do that. Um, teach others to do that. Okay. Hey, and I want you to travel because I want you to do it not just here, but I want you to do it there. Does this sound like an awesome plan? I want you to have as many children as you can and I want you to travel as many places as you can. Forever. Can you just do that? That sounds like an awesome plan. Oh, by the way, here's the promise. Every time it rains, just know that there's going to be a rainbow in the sky. I don't want you freaking out that I'm going to like destroy you. Just know that I'm for you and not against you. But I can function in a society like that. I can, I think that's a good thing. So everything is now set up to work. Just push play. Just go, just go do it. It's like the moment they push play, it just like all falls apart. Because you get to chapter 10. Chapter 10, well, let's stay in chapter nine. Chapter nine, look over here, verse 18. Chapter nine, verse 18. And the sons of Noah that went forth of the ark were Shem, Ham, and Japheth. And Ham is the father of Canaan. Just God just kind of drops just a little subtle information. Ham's the father of Canaan. Verse 19. 
These are the three sons of Noah, and of them was the whole earth overspread. Okay, that's, that's important to know. That doesn't happen quickly, and it doesn't happen on purpose. Verse 20, and Noah began to be a husbandman, and he planted a vineyard. And he drank of the wine and was drunken, and he was uncovered within his tent. Okay, that's weird. Verse 22. And Ham, the father of Canaan, saw the nakedness of his father and told his two brethren without. And Shem and Japheth took a garment and laid it upon both their shoulders and went backward and covered the nakedness of their father, and their faces were backward, and they saw not their father's nakedness. And Noah awake from his wine and knew what his younger son had done unto him. And he said, Cursed be Canaan. A servant of servants shall he be unto his brethren. Here's your next point. Not only is there a great commission and a great covenant, there's a great fall. There's a great fall. Just like Adam and Eve fell, Noah falls. Noah gets drunk. Noah gets drunk. And verse 21, well, let's start in verse 20. It says, and Noah began to be an husbandman. In other words, this isn't something he did in the past. He took up a new hobby. He took up a new occupation. He says, you know what? I'm tired of doing what I was doing then. Things are a little bit different now. I think I'm going to grow me a vineyard. Now, I don't know how long it takes to grow a vineyard. I would assume some time. So there, this isn't happening quickly. And then to grow the vineyard and pull the fruit from it and then smash the fruit and ferment it and then to the point where now he gets, he gets hammered. I mean, he is drunk. But then it says in verse 21, he drank of the wine that was drunken and he was uncovered within his tent. That literally implies that he was naked on purpose. That's what it means. He was purposely naked, whether... He did that himself or somebody did that to him. It was on purpose. That's what that means. Now, what you're going to find in these verses are the realities of sin. So let me just, let's make this super practical just for a moment. Because I know some of you parents are like, tread wise here, pastor. I'm going to tread wise, right? I understand who we might have in the room. I'm going to try to handle as well as I possibly can, but we got to talk about some things. So there are the realities of sin. I just got two of them for us to consider. The first one is this. External changes do nothing to change our sin nature. External changes do nothing to change our sin nature. I don't know if I've got this verse. Do I have Ephesians 4? All right, so can we look at Ephesians 4, verses 22 through 24? says that you put off concerning the former conversation, the old man. Everybody on this planet, when you're born, Clark, as precious as she is, has a old man nature, a sin nature, a propensity to sin, right? Which is the corrupt, which is corrupt according to the deceitful lust, verse 23, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind. All right, so we're fleshly by nature. We're naughty by nature, 90s reference. And, he, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind, verse 24, and that you put on the new man. So there's this idea of putting off and putting on. 
Now, Noah and, and, his, and his sons and their daughters, they all have the same fallen image just like you and I do. And God can get them from a fallen world, put them onto an ark, flood everything, remove everybody in their life, get them off of the ark, and they still are messed up. Right? So a change of external, external changes does not change your nature. Can I get an amen? So let's, let's just walk through that just for a moment. So what I'm telling you is that isolation, you can isolate yourself from everyone and everything, but a change of negative influences will not change you. It won't happen. Is it wise to remove negative influences in your life? Hello? It's wise. It's wise to do that. God did that. But it doesn't change you. So isolation is one thing. Well, man, I got this going on in my life. I just need to get away from everyone and everything. I just need to isolate myself. Good luck with that. You're still going to be a mess. You know what else I see here? Change of location. It's a change of location. Because they get on the boat and it floats around and it lands in the mountains of Ararat. Now, we're not told exactly where they go when they get off the ark, but they get off the ark in the mountains of Ararat. And somewhere, someway, soon he begins to plant a vineyard and to grow and all those things. So a change of location doesn't change who you are either. You know what? I just need a change of scenery. If I just had a change of scenery, it would change everything about me. Nope. Change of scenery doesn't change you. Isn't that interesting? When you go from one job to the next job to the next job, isn't it interesting? You always tend to find the same problems. Hello? Man, why are you always having the same problem? That's your job. Look in the mirror. This might be you. You're the common denominator. Why is it when we go from one town, move to another town? Same problems. Why? Because a change of scenery doesn't change you. It's a change of scenery sometimes wise. Yeah, you better believe it. Sometimes it is wise. But it's so that you can change, not to change you. Provides you the opportunity to change. So you can do some putting off, putting on. Notice this. He began to be an husbandman. I'm just telling you, you find somebody who's got a midlife crisis or somebody's going through something, here's what they do. They try to reinvent their life completely. Well, I'm just going to go do this. I'm going to do that. Oh, I saw some YouTube video, and I'm going to go jump into that. I'm going to go do this. I'm going to do that. Okay, a change of occupation doesn't change you. All it does is magnify your issues. That's what it does. So maybe you're in one of those spots. You're like, you know what? My life's an absolute wreck, and I'd just like to have a little great reset. I'd like to have a change in my life. Well, I'm going to isolate myself, and I'm going to get a change of scenery, and I'm just going to change my career, and I'm going to change everything. It's not going to change you. It will not change you. There's no hope in that. Amen? Some of you are like, man, I've tried that. I've been there, done that. Yeah, amen. So parents, let me just speak into you just for a moment because I've done this. I can isolate my kids. I can control where they go, who they see, direct their life, plan their life, and I can do all those things. But all I'm doing turning it into a little spring that's just ready to bounce and just go. Got to be careful. The only thing that's going to change you 
The only person who's going to change you is the Lord. Amen? Put off concerning the former conversation, the old man, which is corrupt according to the deceitful lust, that's fleshly, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind. You got to have a renewed mind. Colossians says, I get a mind like Christ. And then you put on the new man. You got to put off and you got to put on. You can remove things from your life. If you don't put on the new man, which is renewed in knowledge after the image of him that created him, Colossians chapter three, you'll never change. It all falls apart because I think Noah think I think Noah probably just did what God told him to do. He's the savior of the world. And it's time to retire. I'm just going to do my thing now. I'll let you all figure that out. Because what you find is God told him to be fruitful, multiply, and replenish the earth. And they only had three sons. Because if you look down in verse 28, and Noah lived after the flood 350 years, we don't get told anything else about his life. That implies that he had no more children. He did not do what it took to be fruitful. He definitely didn't multiply. And he had no impact in replenishing the earth. But he did all this magnificent, awesome things for the Lord. Yeah, he did. But he began to be a husbandman. It's not what God told him to do. So external changes do nothing to change our sin nature. Here's the second point. Is that there are always consequences to sin. There's always consequences to sin. And how you deal with it determines the consequence. So Noah is uncovered in his tent. He's drunk and uncovered in his tent. Ham, verse 22, and Ham, the father of Canaan. That's the second time he's told us he's the father of Canaan. There must be something important about this Canaan dude. I've been, I've been trying to drop hints to you. As you study and as you read the word of God, when God gives you detail, pay attention. God gives detail for a reason. So he tells us that Ham is the father of, of Canaan all the way back in verse 18. Here we're finding out that he's the father of Canaan. Look over here in chapter 10, just for a moment. Look at verse 21. Under Shem also the father of all the children of Eber. You get a little bit of detail about these children of Eber. Well, who are the children of Eber? They're your Hebrew people. The Hebrews are traced back through Shem, through this guy named Eber. And what's God doing in chapter 9 and chapter 10? He's juxtaposing the lineage of Canaan and the people of Eber. Because here's what God's going to do. He's going to take the people of Eber and transplant them and place them in the land where the people of Canaan dwelt. There's a juxtaposition of these two. Pay attention to the details found in God's word. So Ham, verse, go back to 9.22, and Ham, the father of Canaan, saw the nakedness of his father and told his two brethren without. Now, I do not know what is transpiring here. Tony, what, what, what's happening here? I don't know. I think I've got some educated guesses, though. And I'm not talking about them here. You want to talk about that? We'll talk about that maybe on a Wednesday night sometime. We're not going to talk about it here. Why? Because God says it's, it's foolishness to speak of 
things done in, the, in secret, in the dark. And here's the deal. God didn't tell us exactly what's going on. But here's what we do know. He was drunk, verse 21. He was purposely uncovered in his tent. And verse 24, Noah wakes up and knows what his younger son had done unto him. That's all we know. At some point in time, Ham walks into the tent, sees his father's nakedness, and comes out and brags about it. It's not like he's having a confession moment. He's bragging about it. And I gave you the point, there's always consequences to sin, and how you deal with it determines the consequence. And the first thing I want you to get here is that disobedience always leads to death. Disobedience always leads to death. Let me remind you of James chapter 1. James chapter 1, verses 14 and 15, but every man is tempted. How many men? Every man. We're all tempted, every single one of us. We all wake up with an itch that wants to be scratched. Truth? We all wake up with some lust, some desire, some fleshly desire. And every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. What does that mean? You have the lust, you have the itch. And what's the enticement? You found a way to scratch the itch. The enticement comes with, oh, there's a way for me to satisfy that itch, whatever it might be. But every man is tempted when he's drawn away of his own lust and enticed, verse 15. Then when lust hath, what's the word? Conceived. Interesting word. When lust hath conceived, what does that mean? Your lust found the itching post, and they met each other. And now there's conception of sin. And it bringeth forth sin, and sin when it is finished bringeth forth death, right? Romans chapter six, verse 23, wages sin is death. We get, we get all those. But death has all kinds of different levels, right? That's how sin works. And you know, here, here's how this also works. It brings forth death. So we enjoy sin for a moment. We love it. We love it. We love it. When it's done, oh, I can't believe I just did it. And so to make ourselves feel better, we run right back to it. That's how it works. That's a cycle, isn't it? It always brings forth death. So let me just give you an example of death just within the text. When he finds out what his, when he knows what his son has done unto him, verse 25, and he said, curse be Ham. Is that what it says? He doesn't say curse be Ham. He says, curse be Canaan. He talks about his grandchild. Curse be Canaan. So when sin brings forth death, here's an example of it. The next generation always takes the curse, doesn't it? generational sin. The next generation gets cursed. It's always the next generation that pays the price for our sin. Always, every single time. Why is that? Because what I allow in moderation, my children will allow in excess. Ham does not get in the situation that he gets in had Noah not been drunk and uncovered in his tent. Noah put his child in that position. That's an example of death. And the curse goes on to the grandchild. Here's another example. I've already made mention of this, is that there's no more evidence of fruit in Noah's life. His lineage dies off right there. He stops. There's no more. It's just Sam, Ham, and Japheth. You get 350 years of silence. No more fruit. He does not fulfill the Great Commission. And unfortunately, there are believers who are just like that. They're serving the Lord, excited about the Lord, they're pumped up at what God is doing in their life and God uses them mightily. And then they get lazy, they get chill, they get isolated. They get new, new, new focuses, new plans, new this, new occupations, new, new everything. And all of a sudden, nothing. 
There's nothing in their life. It's almost as if God just put them on a shelf. And maybe that's where some of us are. You've been put on a shelf. You don't have to stay on the shelf. Amen? Amen? All right, just making sure y'all are with me. Here's the next point. Obedience always leads to blessing. So he says, cursed be Canaan, a servant of servants shall he be unto his brethren. Verse 26, he said, blessed be the Lord God of Shem, and Canaan shall be his servant. Pay attention to what's happening here. Blessed be the Lord God of Shem, and Canaan shall be his servant. God shall enlarge Japheth, and he shall dwell in the tents of Shem, and Canaan shall be his servant. And so obedience always leads to blessing. So Japheth and Shem get blessed. Why? Because how do they respond? Ham comes out and says, hey, I just saw dad. He's naked. Or I caused him to be naked. I don't know what's happening. Well, you don't know. But he comes out and he tells his brethren. And what do his brothers do? They walk in backwards and they, make, they want to make sure the sin is covered. Love covers a multitude of sins, doesn't it? Sin always must be covered. Ham wanted to expose it. He wanted to celebrate it. He wanted to rejoice in it. He wasn't interested in it being covered. That's cursing. Blessing is in the covering of sin, not hiding sin. It's not what we're talking about. If we were hiding it, we wouldn't even know about it. The covering of sin is important. So they get, they get blessed. Now here's what you find in verses 26 and 27. Here's your next point. There's a great prophecy. Now I don't want to spend a whole lot of time here, but there's a great prophecy that takes place in verses 26 and 27. And this prophecy of the future people groups is extremely accurate to history. Because what you find in chapter 10, chapters chapter 9, 26, and 27, and all of chapter 10, is God laying out for us how the people groups spread throughout history. Now, let's, let's deal with this dude, Japheth, for a moment, because it says in verse 27, God shall enlarge Japheth. Now, Japheth is the guy, the peoples of Central Asia, Europe, the British Isles. Pretty much, if you look a little bit like me, you're coming from Japheth. Y'all with me on that? That's how that, that's how that works. Japheth is European, British Isles, Central Asia, you know, Russia, all that. That's Japheth. But the Bible says that God shall enlarge Japheth, and he shall dwell in the tents of Shem. And here's what you find. Maybe you're into taking notes. I would encourage you to write this down. Japheth, his lineage is enlarged, but it has to do so in Shem's tents. It's going to be enlarged, but it's going to be done under the tent of Shem. And what you find is Japheth is the people of global industry. That's what you find. And where do most of Japheth's industries take place? Where are those factories usually located? Under a tent of Shem. That's pretty much accurate to history. How, how did the peoples of Japheth get, get the lands that they're in? How did we get to the United States? How, how did we get to here? Oh, they were enlarged. But this land used to belong to peoples of Shem. Does that make sense? Y'all follow me? 
Where are we going with this? So Japheth takes over and they land on the isles and they go everywhere. That's why the Bible, that's why the Bible, that's why history says the sun never sets on British soil. Right? Prophecy that it was going to happen that way. But then you get Shem. Right? Japheth is going to dwell in the tents of Shem. So Shem, his lineage is the peoples of the Hebrews. That's Central Asia as well. It's Southeast Asia, the Orient. That's the peoples of Shem. In his lineage, you know what, I've just mentioned it. It provides the land. It provides the factories. It provides the education. It provides the religion for global industry to function. That's what Shem does. How do you see it happen? Where, if you were to look at your clothes, where are most of your clothes made? Most of your objects in your kitchen, where are they made? China. That's Shem. That's that lineage. Then you have Canaan. Remember, cursed be Canaan. It doesn't say Ham, skips Ham. And the curse goes on to Canaan. And Canaan says at the end of verse 27, shall be his servant. These are the peoples of Africa, um, Saudi Arabia, the Arabian Peninsula, parts of the Middle East, um, where Israel is, is that realm. Not the Israeli people, but the, it, that realm. And this lineage provides the resources to service the global industry. Most of the earth's resources are found in those areas. Oil, cobalt, titanium, I mean, all of it. Diamonds, it's all found in those areas. And so there's a great prophecy here. In fact, um, I don't know if I've got it up on the screen, but I got an image of the, of the 70 nations that come from that, and you should have it on your screen. I know you're like, I can't read it. Should have got a study sheet. It's right there, right? But those are the 70 nations that you're going to find. The 70 nations are found there in Genesis chapter 10. We're not going to take time to go through all of that. Everybody say, thank you. You're welcome. We're not going to read all those names. But there's a great prophecy. It just lays out for us there in, in chapter 10. Now, I told you, when God gives you detail, you pay attention to detail. Now, check this out. Go to chapter 10. And let's just dwell on Ham just for a moment. Chapter 10, verse 6. And the sons of Ham, Cush and Mizraim, that's Ethiopia and Egypt and Phut and Canaan, and the sons of Cush, and he goes on. Now skip down to verse 8. And Cush begat Nimrod. He began to be a mighty one in the earth. So everything is just name, 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 name. And then God clears off a spot and says, pay attention to this guy. He becomes a mighty hunter in the, in, in the earth, or a mighty one in the earth, he was a mighty hunter before the Lord. And some of you are like, yeah, baby, he's a mighty hunter. Slow your roll. He ain't hunting antelope. He's not hunting deer. He's hunting humans. He's hunting men. He's trying to bring men into a kingdom. Verse 9. He was a mighty hunter before the Lord. Wherefore it is said, even as Nimrod, the mighty hunter before the Lord, and the beginning of his kingdom was Babel. Now this word Babel, you're going to find here in chapter 10, in, in verse 10 means gate of God. That's what it means. It means gate of God. So he names his kingdom the gate of God. Interesting. So we get a little bit of detail here. So we have great commission, a great, a great covenant, a great fall, great prophecy. Here's your next point. We have a great rebellion, a great rebellion. Because what happens here is Nimrod 
is establishing mystery Babylon that we're going to read about in Revelation chapter 17. It goes completely contrary to the Great Commission and the Great Prophecy. Because here's what Nimrod does. Instead of taking everywhere and all over the planet, he tries to gather everyone into a ginormous city. Where? In the Middle East, in Babylon. Oh, what are they trying to do in Saudi Arabia right now? Or is it Dubai? It's one of those. It's right in that area. They're trying to create the line. It's a massive city out in the middle of the desert where millions of people can dwell. That's what they're trying to do. Sounds a lot like what we're reading here in Genesis. So instead of going everywhere, he wants to gather everybody together, and he establishes Mystery Babylon. Now quickly, Revelation chapter 17, verses 1 and 2. Revelation chapter 17, verses 1 and 2. Come hither, I will show unto thee the judgment of the great whore that sitteth upon many waters. Hold on to that. Sitteth upon many waters. How, how can you sit on a whole lot of water? Check this out. Sit upon many waters with whom the kings of the earth have committed fornication and the inhabitants of the earth have been made drunk. So this is global, right? This is the inhabitants of the earth have made, dr made drunk with the wine of her fornication. Look at verses four and five. Verses four and five. And the woman was arrayed in purple and scarlet color, decked with gold, precious stones and pearls, having a golden cup in her hand, full of abominations and filthiness of her fornication. And upon her forehead was a name written, not the scarlet letter, Mystery Babylon, the great. Now check this out, this next phrase. The mother of harlots. What does that mean, the mother of harlots? Well, let me just give you a Bible study tip. We don't have time to get into it. If you go to Proverbs 5 to Proverbs 7, you're gonna read about the strange woman. The strange woman is a harlot. The strange woman is a prostitute. That's what the strange woman is. And you're gonna find that her ways are movable. She does all kinds of different things. And she, the strange woman, the prostitute, is a type of false religion. Every false religion, every one of them on this planet comes from this system. Then Nimrod starts way back in Genesis chapter 10 and 11. Every one of them, every false religion. I don't care what you name it to, it all traces back to the mother of harlots and abominations of the earth. That's where it comes from. Revelation chapter 17, verse 15. And he said unto me, the waters which thou sawest, remember she's sitting upon many waters where the horse sitteth, are peoples, multitudes, nations, and tongues. Hold on to that. So who is following this mystery Babylon religion? Everyone is. Everyone. She sits on peoples, multitudes, nations, and tongues. That's mystery Babylon. And Nimrod starts this thing. Now go to chapter 11. Chapter 11, verses 1 to 4. And the whole earth was of how many languages? One language and of one speech. How do we get to the tongues? There's only one tongue. Everybody on the planet speaks the same language. Wouldn't that just be nice? I mean, no translation needed. You could travel anywhere and everybody speaks the same language. Wouldn't that just be awesome? Uh, no, not necessarily. Not necessarily good. I told Dave and I told Mason, there's things I really want to address that I'm trying to be wise and not to address too much. There's some crazy stuff happening here. So here's your point. Is Nimrod established a kingdom? He established a kingdom. It's a kingdom of 
one world language. Everybody speaks the same language. It's one world government. And it's a man-made nation. Verse 1, and the whole earth was of one language and of one speech, and it came to pass as they journeyed from the east that they found a plain in the land of Shinar. That's Babylon. That's Iraq. The land of Shinar. And they dwelt there. And they said one to another, go to, let us make brick and burn them throughly. And they had brick for stone and slime had they for mortar. Verse four, and they said, go to, let us build a city and a tower whose top may reach unto heaven and let us make us a name lest we be scattered abroad upon the face of the whole earth. Didn't God tell them to go across the earth? And here this is rebellion. They're going against this. And what are they trying to do? They're trying to get to God. That's what they're trying to do. So he establishes this this kingdom. Here's the next point, is he establishes a religion. He establishes a religion. It's a one world religion. And it's a man-made religion. Now, we don't have time. That was me. That was to me. We don't have time. Let me just step into history just for a moment. Let me just step into history just for a moment. Nimrod starts his kingdom, and he starts this religion. History tells us that Nimrod dies while hunting. He dies before consummating the relationship with his new wife, Simiramis. Okay? Y'all got me? Before they've come together, he dies. She's unhappy that her husband dies before that all happens. And supposedly, lo and behold, she gets miraculously pregnant. A virgin birth to a little boy named Tammuz. Tammuz? Well, who's that? Well, you can read about him in Ezekiel chapter 8. Verses 13 through 16. So you can write that reference down. Ezekiel chapter 8, verses 13 through through 16. I purposely didn't put it on the screen because I didn't want to talk about it too much. So you can read about Tammuz. And so this man-made religion, now, he dies off the scene. Now his wife, Simiramis, becomes a goddess because she is miraculous conception of a child named Tammuz, which, by the way, his sign in the in history is the sign of a cross. Interesting. Well, now Simiramis, she gets deified, and now she's called the Queen of Heaven. Sound familiar? She's called the Queen of Heaven. You can read about her. Write this reference down. Jeremiah chapter 7, verse 18. Jeremiah 44, verses 17 through 19, and verse 25. I'll get to you one more time. Jeremiah chapter 7, verse 18. Jeremiah 44, verses 17 through 19, as well as verse 25. And they would burn incense and pour on drink offerings to the queen of heaven. Interesting that this child is born of a virgin. Sound like stealing the prophecy of Genesis chapter 3 and verse 15. 
asked me after church what day he was born on. And this child, Nimrod, is reincarnated and now called the sun god. You might refer to him as Baal or Moloch, the sun god, where they offer little children up, which, by the way, is happening today, still today. Now, I think I've got an image of Semiramis and, and her son. This is how Semiramis and Tammuz are depicted throughout history. You know what they're called? Mother and child. Mother and child. In all over the planet. Semiramis and Tammuz. We'll, we'll come back to that in here a few moments. So God is watching all of this. All of this has happened relatively quickly. And so here's your next point is that there's a great response. There's a great response. That God has the perfect response to man's rebellion. And how's he do that? Well, here's your next point is that he responds by scattering man across the face of the earth. They didn't want to be scattered. And that's exactly what God does. Look at verse five. And the Lord came down to see the city and the tower, which the children of men builded. And the Lord said, behold, the people is one and they have all one language and this they begin to do. And now nothing will be restrained from them, which they have, what's the word? Imagined to do. I think the first time you find the word imagine or imaginations is found in chapter six. Their imagination of their heart is only evil continually and how they're imagining to do. And let me just tell you, we were just having a conversation, Dave and I were of where science is trying to get. Here's what they're trying to do. Have you guys heard of CERN? Everybody know what's happening? The Hydron Collider, trying to find the God particle and all those type of things. What they're saying is they want to find something in another dimension so that we can send something to it or send something back. And then Dave comes to me and and shows me that they they found a, what kind of computer? A really high powered computer. I don't know, quantum mechanic computer something. Well, sure enough, guess what they did? They created a holographic dimension and they were sending sound waves to another dimension sending and receiving sound waves what is happening here in genesis chapter 11 is they're not just building a big tower the bible says that they were trying to get their god on their own they were trying to have the gate of god that's what he named babel they're trying to get to god on their own terms sound familiar isn't that what lucifer wanted i will send Into heaven, I will be like the most high. That's what they're trying to do. That's why every false religion, I can't stress this enough. I'm sorry I'm getting upset, but man, this is the reality. Every false religion says, I got to get to God. My Bible says God came to me. Amen? That's every false religion. How do you know it's false? Because you got to get to God on your own. My Bible says my Jesus came in the likeness of flesh and we're going to celebrate his birth. That's the season. God came to me. And so God scatters them. He changes them. Verse eight. So the Lord scattered them abroad from thence upon the face of all the earth and they left off to build the city. Therefore is the name of it called Babel. Different name. This one means confusion. It was gate of God. And God says, oh, you want to play games with names? I'll, th- I'll play a name. We're going to name it Confusion. 
because the Lord did there confound the language of all the earth. And from this did the Lord scatter them abroad the face of all the earth. So God responds by scattering man across the face of the earth. And so Babel, the gate of God becomes Babel, the confusion. And here's what they did. They took their kingdom religion everywhere with them. And so their pyramids and towers stayed the same. I got a picture of that right here. Here is an image of the earth where they find pyramids everywhere. They're everywhere. What happened? They're hanging out in Iraq, doing their thing, having their tower. God disperses them and says, go out according to your languages. And they took their kingdom religion with them. And everywhere you go on the planet, there, there are these pyramids. They're hanging out in Georgia. They're hanging out in Florida. They're hanging out in Nebraska. They're hanging out everywhere. There's pyramids. So they take this pyramid tower religion, but not just that, they take the names of their goddess, Simiramis and Tammuz. Well, they can't call her Simiramis and Tammuz. They have new names. Here's, a, here's just another image I got of mother and child in India. She's Isi. The boy's name is Iswara. Um, that's uh, Horus and um, I can't remember her name. Isis. Isis and Horus in the middle. That's Egypt. This is the Krishna. All right. Yeah, yeah. Heard of the Harry Krishnas back in the 80s. You always heard about all those dancing on the airports and doing all the things. That it's all this religion. So everywhere they went, they took this religion. In China, she's Xingmu with child. In Germany, she's Hertha, the mother goddess, with child. In Scandinavia, it's Disa, the mother goddess, with child. In the Druids, it's Virgo, the mother goddess, with child. And in Greece, it's Aphrodite with Ceres. In Egypt, it's Isis with Horus. In Ephesus, it's Diana with, with child. In ancient Rome, it's Venus with Jupiter. In today's Roman society, it's Madonna with child. Her name is called Mary. Be careful. That's where it's coming from. So God responds by scattering man across the face of the earth, and he does it by confounding language. Next point is that God responds by commissioning believers now to go across the face of the earth. Now, one of my favorite things to do, and I have no idea what time it is, so I'm landing the plane, I promise. One of my favorite things to do is to watch Hollywood movies. Not always for entertainment. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not that guy that says you can't watch movies. I watch movies and I get entertained by them. But I'm also weird. And so I tend to watch movies with the idea and mentality that they're always going to tell me the truth of what they're really doing or what their intention is and what their goals are. So I tend to watch movies from a very biblical perspective. And one of my favorite movies to watch on this is the movie Arrival. It's an Amy Adams movie. Never thought I'd mention Amy Adams in a sermon, but here we go. One of my favorite movies is, is The Arrival. And what it is, is she's a government official, whatever. Aliens come down in a Zechariah chapter five type ship and they come down and they land and, and they make contact with them and begin to talk to these aliens and the aliens are offering a solution to Earth's problems. Finally, how can we solve the Earth's problems? You know what, their idea of solution to the earth's problems is that we become a one world government led by a single man. Well, how do you get that accomplished? And here's what their promise was. We're going to institute a new language. If everybody speaks this language, you'll be unified. That was the solution. 
And I'm watching this movie going, I think I need to watch this one again. I think I've watched it five or six times. And I watch it and I see something new every single time. And what is it? It's the United States, of course, got to come to the rescue. But it's done through Shem. But who's the one who foots the bill? Canaan. Just like my Bible says. So here's what God does. How do we fix it? It's not everybody speaking the same language. It's not. It's God commissioning believers to go across the face of the earth. That's how it gets fixed. Because I got news for you. Here's your next point. If we choose obedience, we will get sent. Acts chapter 1, verse 8. But ye shall receive power after the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, unto the uttermost part of the earth. The job of the local church is to go where they are, not expecting them to come to where we are. So if we choose obedience, we will get sent. Here's your last point. If we choose disobedience, we get scattered. Because when God started his church, he told them to go into an upper room and they went to the upper room. God sealed them with the spirit of God. Interesting that he gave them the ability to speak other nations' languages so they could share the glories of God. You see that in Acts chapter 2. They did not leave Jerusalem. They did not go to Judea. They did not go to Samaria. They didn't go anywhere else. They hung out in Jerusalem. And God says, fine, if you're going to stay here and do nothing, then I will scatter you. Check out Acts chapter 8, verse 1. Acts chapter 8, verse 1. And Saul was consenting unto his death. And at that time, there was a great persecution against the church which was at Jerusalem, and they were all scattered abroad throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. They stayed back. Everybody else gets scattered. Check out verse 4. Verse 4. Therefore, they that were scattered abroad went everywhere preaching the word. And here's what I know about God's word. God's word always speaks every language. Doesn't it? Our job as a church is to go everywhere because everywhere you go is submitted to a kingdom religion started way back at Genesis chapter 10, 11. And what are we celebrating this month, this season? What are we celebrating? The birth of our Savior, Jesus Christ, who came on a rescue mission to train up disciples and prepare them to send them to the very people who rebelled in the first place. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. That's why we're taking this Bible seriously. It's the volume of the book. It's about Jesus Christ. Men, let's stand together. If you don't know Jesus as your Savior, please, let's do business with the Lord today. You need to get saved. Some of us, we're trying to reinvent our life. God's done mighty things in your life. Reinventing your life will not change you. Let's put off and put on the new man. Let's be renewed in knowledge after the image of him that created him. Become discipled, get discipled, follow the Lord. And you guys, please, let's just be obedient. Let's get sent. And let's not sit back, try to build our own little kingdom here at the church. We do that, I'm telling you, God will scatter us.
And that terrifies me. Man, I'd rather be sending than getting scattered. All right? Dave, will you close us in prayer? We'll be dismissed. I love you guys.